Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Sask Egg Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to Sask Egg Today. Some big news here in Yorkton today. Louis-Dreyfus Company has announced the construction of a pea protein isolate production plant dedicated to its plant proteins business at the site of its existing industrial complex here in Yorkton. I'll speak with Yorkton Mayor Mitch Hipsley to get his reaction on the news, and of course he's very excited about it. Lentils have the potential to be a top money earner for the upcoming growing season, while flax, soybeans and faba beans are at the bottom of the list. The ranking comes from a recent profitability analysis conducted by Ray Glenn Commodities based in Saskatoon. Kevin Hirsch, the chief agricultural editor for saskagtoday.com, will tell us about that. Whenever you mention the Green Party, you can hear the collective eyes roll, but from time to time, Federal Party leader Elizabeth May proves that her understanding of agriculture on the prairies far exceeds that of other MPs in the House of Commons. She discussed Bill C-234 yesterday in Ottawa, and we will tell you what she had to say about it. There doesn't seem to be any movement in trying to restart trade talks in the United Kingdom. After two years of negotiations, the UK walked away from the table recently, citing several concerns. We'll hear from Nathan Finney, the president of the Canadian Cattle Association, on that. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of Saskag Today. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka your REMAX Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Welcome back to Saskang Today. Louis Dreyfus Company has announced the construction of a pea protein isolate production plant dedicated to its plant proteins business at the site of its existing industrial complex in Yorkton. Yorkton Mayor Mitch Hipsley is thrilled with the news. Well, unbelievable. We're ecstatic, needless to say. I mean, they've chosen Yorkton for a reason, and we're the only uh, city in the province, possibly Canada itself, but regardless, we're just ecstatic. I mean, this uh, is going to be an approximately a $500 million investment, and it's going to come up fast. They're hoping to finish this by the end of 2025, but in the meantime, we'll have all kinds of construction crews here and, and specialty people and construction workers so with that it's just going to bring lots of investment into the city before and also after because we are told that this will provide a minimum of 60 really well-paid full-time employment to this new operation he says the fact that ldc already has a canola crushing plant in yorkton 
has really paid off with this new announcement. It sure has. And you know, it's the relationship building. Of course, we've got everything they need here, too. We've got land, we've got water, we've got two rail lines, and we have five highways coming into the city. Needless to say, we have all of the people that are going to provide them with the peas that they're going to need, as they have with canola. So as I understand it, Doug, you know more about this than me, but it's a good compliment for proper soil management, too. So it's it's a real happy, uh, if you can, and call it a marriage uh, between different crops. Hipsley expects construction on the new pea production plant to begin this spring. Not officially, but it's going to happen happen pretty quick because it's a big operation. So if their target date is for the end of 2025, and it is now February 2024, that would just tell me that it's going to happen real quick. But no, to answer your question, not officially yet. I am on call with uh, one of their development officers in uh, uh, California right now, so I guess I'll learn more as we go. He notes LDC only turned sod last June to double the size of their canola crushing plant in Yorkton, demonstrating major confidence in the Yorkton area. They really are. I mean, now right now we are told that uh, in we have in the neighborhood of investment of $1.5 billion being spent in our city. I mean, $1.5 billion. The spinoffs are incredible. So we have to prepare. I mean, we have to start building houses and doing all kinds of stuff to prepare for this kind of a, a, a boom, if you will. And Hipsley had these final thoughts on the news. Well, we just welcome LDC, and we're so grateful for their presence and their trust and what we've done. And we're just, I know that everyone will benefit. It's not just the city of Yorkton. It's everyone in the area and the farmers, our producers, all of them. Everyone's going to win here. That's Yorkton Mayor Mitch Hipsley. LDC, for its part, says the new facility will enable them to deliver highly functional, taste-neutral, nutritious ingredients well-suited for dairy alternatives, high-protein nutrition solutions, and other plant-based applications. It will also expand and accelerate their existing pea protein isolate and non-GMO soy isolate offering. Pea protein demand continues to grow due to its non-allergen and non-GMO status, and its sustainability and versatility across many food applications. Product samples are available and will be showcased at the 2024 Natural Products Expo West in Anaheim, California, coming up next month. Meanwhile, lentils have the potential to be a top money earner for the upcoming growing season, while flax, soybeans, and faba beans are at the bottom of the list. The ranking comes from a recent profitability analysis conducted by Ray Glenn Commodities based in Saskatoon. Kevin Hirsch from saskagtoday.com has this report. The Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture prepares a crop planning guide that's released in early January. However, it's based on price projections from December and quite a bit has changed since then. Ray Glenn Commodities does a similar analysis and they recently updated their crop prices. For instance, rather than the $16 a bushel canola price assumed by Saskatchewan Agriculture, Ray Glenn is is using a new crop canola price assumption of $13 a bushel. Raglan assumes typical yields and subtracts both variable and overhead costs to determine profit per acre for each crop. The crops are ranked according to their return on investment. 
Small green lentils come out at the top of the heap, with large green lentils a close second. Somewhat surprisingly, red lentils also rank highly and hold the number three spot. The new crop assumed price for red lentils is 33 cents a pound, much less than the 56 cents a pound assumed for large green lentils. However, red lentils yield a bit better and have somewhat lower expenses. Number four in profitability goes to oriental mustard. Yellow mustard is in the number six spot. Brown mustard lags way behind at number 11 due to a much lower price assumption. The market for brown is struggling. Number 5 for return on investment is large Kabuli chickpeas. 7th place goes to oats. 8th is durum wheat with an $11 a bushel price assumption. Ninth place goes to green peas. 10th is canary seed. And as mentioned, brown mustard is 11th. Malting barley is 12th, while canola is 13th on the list. In past years, canola has often been one of the most profitable crops, but with a price assumption of $13 a bushel, it barely generates a positive return in the Raglan analysis. Yellow peas in 14th place, with an assumed price of $10 a bushel, pencil out at a small loss. 15th place is CPS or feed wheat, 16th is feed barley, 17th is spring wheat with an assumed price of $7.50 a bushel, 18th place goes to flax, 19th is soybeans, and the biggest loss at number 20 is faba beans. For SaskAg Today, I'm Kevin Hirsch. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94, AgriView. According to a new report, government, industry, and educational institutes must act now to address the labor challenges confronting the emerging plant-based protein industry in Saskatchewan and Manitoba. Protein Industries Canada believes the plant-based protein sector could be contributing $25 billion annually to Canada's gross domestic product by 2035. Major investments have already been made in the two prairie provinces. Roquette opened the world's largest pea processing plant in Portage La Prairie, Manitoba, in 2021. Cargill and Viterra have announced plans to build canola crushing facilities in Regina that will be operational this year. Federated Cooperatives Limited and AGT Food and Ingredients are building a $2 billion canola crushing and biodiesel plant in the same city that will be completed by 2027. And Burkhan Nurture Science Corporation's pilot protein ingredient plant in Winnipeg received funding in 2023. As farmers prepare for spring seeding, the Canadian Malting Barley Technical Centre reminds them to keep barley in mind. There are some advantages to growing barley. It's an early maturing crop. It can be a week earlier than other crops. In terms of timing at harvest, you can spread that out if you get your barley off early and follow with your wheat and canola. It notes input costs for barley are relatively low as farmers need to limit the amount of nitrogen they apply in order to keep protein levels below 13%. You can sell malting barley into the feed sector, but you can't sell feed barley into the malting sector, noting there's often a premium associated with barley selected for malting. 
The centre's website shows that premium can be $1 Canadian per bushel. Lentil prices held firm over the last week across Western Canada, according to Prairie Ag Hotwire. That lack of price movement is quite normal, according to Marcos Mossname, field crop trading manager for export packers. Layards were among those lentils that remained steady over the last week. Prairie Ag Hotwire listed them at 60 to 75 cents per pound delivered, depending on the size as of February 5th. Also holding firm were Estins at 51.5 to 66 cents per pound, as well as Richley's at 50 to 73, and Crimson's at 25 to 37.5. The sole outlier was Estin lentils, having nudged up a penny per pound at 51.5 to 66 cents per pound delivered. Moss name stresses that lentil prices will eventually fluctuate, but that this time the amount of lentils moving in the marketplace has not been that large. The European Commission has recommended that the EU slash new greenhouse gas emissions by 90% by 2040, an ambitious target that will test political appetite for the region's fight against climate change ahead of EU elections. Europe's climate agenda is entering a difficult phase as it begins to touch sensitive sectors such as farming and as traditional industries face fierce green tech competition from China. While the overall target was within the range recommended by the EU's official climate science advisors, the EU executive weakened part of the recommendation concerning agriculture in response to weeks of protests by farmers angry about EU green rules, among other complaints. A previous draft of the EU target had said agriculture would need to cut non-CO2 emissions 30% by 2040 from 2015 levels to comply with the overall climate goal. Farmers could win bragging rights and cash for community organizations in a new yield competition from Nutrien Ag Solutions. Nutrien launched the Hometown Yield Challenge last Friday and they're inviting farmers across Western Canada to enroll in the challenge. The submission deadline is Friday, March 1st. The challenge will run until November of 2024 when harvest totals will be tallied and the two top yielding growers will be awarded $20,000 to go to a local organization of their choice. The three second-place winners will each be awarded $5,000 to go to a local organization of their choice. Growers participating in the challenge will have to seed at least 80 acres and will be required to use a number of proprietary Nutrient products, the details of which can be found on Nutrient's Hometown Yield Challenge webpage. And SaskAg Today is always available on podcast. Listen to past shows whenever you want. Find them easily by going to gx94radio.com. Also, you can hear the podcast on your Amazon Echo. Just enable the GX94 skill and choose SaskAg today. And yes, it's free. And that's the Ag Review portion of our program. Please stay tuned. SaskAg today will return right after these messages. Welcome back to SaskAg today. I'm Doug Falconer. It's cloudy and minus 2 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. Whenever you mention the Green Party in these parts, you can almost see the collective eyes roll. But from time to time, Federal Party leader Elizabeth May proves that her understanding of agriculture on the prairies 
far exceeds that of other MPs in the House of Commons. There was a discussion again yesterday on Bill C-234 in Parliament, but it didn't really go anywhere. May was given 10 minutes to speak about it and why her party supported the Tory motion in the first place and still supports the unamended version. Here's what she had to say. So as someone who wants to see us all pull together, it was distressing to see that one of the uh, one component of Canadian society that both is severely impacted by climate crisis and therefore should be on side with doing something to, to keep it from becoming ever worse, and a, a part of our society that plays a big role in how carbon is sequestered would be alienated from efforts to act on climate by what felt like, and kind of, got to say, looked like a betrayal on a promise. If you say you're not going to apply carbon taxes on farms, and then people are surprised, to farmers are surprised, well, paying a walloping carbon tax, how did that happen? Well, I think it's because, and I'm sorry for my liberal friends, but I don't think they really understand a lot about farming, and they didn't realize that fossil fuels used on farm were largely used in buildings to dry, to dry grain when they made the promise. So fine to exempt tractors, fine to exempt on-farm equipment. But here we come to the crux of what I wish we had done in the three minutes I have left to, to, to express what I wish we had done, which perhaps we still could do, which is to enlist farmers as the creative land stewards that they are, and as farmers sequester carbon through their practices and on-farm activities such as zero-tillage agriculture, such as getting rid of summer fallows, such as moving, making sure you're doing more perennial crops and fewer annual, are massively effective at sequestering carbon in soil. And guess what? We talk about planting forests as a way of sequestering carbon. Carbon sinks in forests. Those are real, that's true. But right now, and largely due to climate change, our grasslands are better at sequestering carbon than our forests. When forests burn, you lose all the carbon. But here's something interesting, and scientists are looking at this a lot. When grasslands burn, you don't lose all the carbon because most of that carbon is stored well below the soil in the root systems that don't burn. So if you're offsetting for greenhouse gases, you're better off to protect your grasslands. And where ecosystems exist with grasslands, it's better to sustain them and keep them robust, which means what if, instead of just having carbon pricing on the fuel you burn, we paid farmers for sequestering every ton of carbon they sequester? What if we had an actual balance sheet on carbon pricing, thanking and rewarding farmers who have taken on board protecting ecological services, all kind of wetlands, protecting biodiversity, and making sure they are both restoring the health of soil, improving the profitability, the health of the food, and keeping carbon out of the atmosphere. Thank you, farmers. That's Green Party leader Elizabeth May. Livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for April are trading at 185 even this afternoon. That's down 107. June live cattle trading at 182.40, down 72. March feeder cattle trading at 245.85, down 82. 
April feeder cattle trading at 251.30, down 40. April lean hogs trading at 81.10, down 15. May lean hogs trading at 86.35, up 7. And that's the livestock market conditions. There doesn't seem to be any movement in trying to restart trade talks in Great Britain. After two years of negotiations, the UK walked away from the table recently, citing several concerns. One of those was the amount of cheese it would be allowed to export into Canada. But another long-standing issue is the UK's refusal to accept even a single morsel of our beef because producers here use growth hormones. That's a practice that's widely accepted around the world, especially among the countries in the CPTPP, of which Canada is a member in good standing. Nathan Finney, the president of the Canadian Cattle Association, says he's disappointed the UK walked away from the table, but he says this issue needs to be addressed if Britain is allowed to join the CPTPP, which he says to this point has worked very well without them. This has been an issue that we've been beating, you know, back into the uh, CETA agreement issues with these non-tariff regulations that um, are barriers for our trade. And, you know, also I want to say that, you know, this again enhances our focus on science and research, and that's what we have to go by. And, you know, our food safety system is one of the top food safety systems in the world, and it's highly recognized around the globe of, of the standards that it holds. Um, you know, that being the, the, the main fundamental issue of our concerns, I mean, obviously there's concerns about other technologies that are used in, in our beef system that, that raise flags, but regardless of, of how you want to produce for that market, not being able to send to that market because of the food safety system, um, the U.K. not approving it, that's our number one hurdle. And we were hoping that they would come you know, to the table with an open mind on this and, and have the conversation. And uh, obviously, um, it didn't turn out, so, you know, we're at, a, we're at a standstill. Finney again commended the federal government for not compromising and reiterated concerns with the UK possibly joining the CPTPP and the negative precedent it would set. I think there's, there's two parts to this. So one, you know, I'm glad that our government has held a and thank them for holding a strong position that they're not bending on this. Um, you know, I we need to continue, um, and our government's coming out strong saying this from our trade minister to our agriculture minister recently of, you know, Canada's going to hold science research-based uh, trade policies. Um, the second part to this, though, that is that is overarching and very concerning as well is this person into the CPTPP. Um, we're very concerned with, you know, how that could portray that, that, that trade deal. We had 11 countries that built that trade deal and negotiated fairly and signed it with progressive trade and rules-based trade. And those that, that deal has worked extremely well for all of the partners involved. Our concern is, is if the first country that we're going to let in comes with such restrictive um, uh, regulations with them, it, it could potentially set precedents and undermine the ambitions of that deal. That's Nathan Finney, the president of the Canadian Cattle Association. Canada and the UK have been trying to hammer out a new trade deal ever since Brexit. Please stay tuned. Saskag Today will return right after this. Welcome back to Saskag Today. 
Canada's big grocery companies found some allies at a meeting of the Commons Ag Committee yesterday in Ottawa. It was the first meeting of the new year for the committee, and the topic was food affordability. For months now, the federal government and the NDP have been taking aim at companies like Loblaw, Metro and Empire, suggesting those companies are making huge profits while many Canadians struggle to buy food. Dr. Sylvain Charlebois, Canada's food professor, has testified before the committee many times over the past few years. Each time he points to their own studies at Dalhousie University that show grocery companies are not profiteering off food prices. But Charlebois says those same companies aren't squeaky clean when it comes to other issues like collusion. Here's part of his testimony yesterday. We have consistently emphasized that there is no substantiated evidence of profiteering within the food retail industry. To complement our findings from, the last, from last year's reports, it is important to note that gross margins for all three major grocers have remained constant for over five years, as verified by auditors. In most cases, same-store sales growth has fallen below our national food inflation rate as well. Some experts, including recent committee witnesses, have, have made claims that grocers are consistently reporting record profits, which may create sensational headlines. However, it is crucial to understand that due to inflation, companies should naturally report higher profits in nominal dollars each year. Accusations of profiteering in this context are unwarranted distractions. To address real issues, we must put the profiteering debate to rest. Charlebois goes on to say, One significant concern we've identified is the prevailing culture of copycatting, price coordination, and discount alignment with the grocery sector. An example of this is when Loblaw decided to discontinue its 50% discount policy, citing a need to align discounts with competitors. Additionally, practices like the so-called three-month blackout period where grocers request suppliers to freeze prices can impact retail prices. Metro CEO Eric Laflèche has acknowledged that some food prices will rise in February due to the end of the price freeze, leading to increased price volatility. Which is contrary to the desired outcome for Canadians, the ongoing bread price scandal, with three companies admitting guilt for their participation after nearly nine years, is unacceptable. The Competition Bureau should take a more proactive role in monitoring potentially anti-competitive behavior. And lastly, I understand that this committee has already heard extensively about the importance of implementing a mandatory industry-led code of conduct. We cannot stress enough how crucial this step is. Mr. Galen Weston, recent testimony before the holidays where he may have misconstrued how the code operates in Australia and its potential cost to Canadians needs clarification. The implementation of the code of conduct should be viewed as a priority if this committee is serious about achieving long-term food price stability. That's Canada's food professor, Dr. Sylvain Charlebois. Meanwhile, federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will be introducing a bill today in Parliament 
aimed at lowering food prices by increasing fines for grocery companies. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading down across the board this hour. March canola trading at 592.20, down a dollar 50. May canola trading at 598.40, down $2.10. March Minneapolis wheat trading at 694 per bushel, up three quarters of a cent. March Kansas City wheat trading at 618 and a half unchanged from yesterday's close. March Chicago wheat trading at 602 per bushel, up 7 cents. March corn trading at 434 and a half, down 4 and a quarter cents. March soybeans trading at 1187 and a quarter, down 12 and a quarter cents. March oats trading at 378 and 3 quarters, up 3 quarters of a cent. And that's the commodities update. An effort is underway to map prairie farmland to show what acres are unprofitable for annual crop production. SaskAgToday.com's Kevin Hirsch spoke to Dr. Paul Galpern from the University of Calgary about the Prairie Precision Sustainability Network. We're the Prairie Precision Sustainability Network and our goal is to identify unproductive acres that are losing farmers money year over year uh, so that they can make sustainability decisions about those acres. And you cooperate with a couple of universities? Yeah, so I'm at the University of Calgary and I work with uh, researchers at the University of Saskatchewan as well. Um, and we also have uh, collaborators uh, working throughout, uh, farmer collaborators working throughout Alberta and Saskatchewan and Manitoba. So you're using satellite data and, and corresponding that with yield data on the ground? Yeah, so that's how it works. So we, um, we've we had uh, about uh, 60 or so uh, farmer cooperators across the three provinces who have shared um, their precision yield data. Uh, usually that's about 10, 12 years of data for, you know, 30, 40, 20, 30 fields, whatever. Uh, and they give that to us and they say, hey, uh, we're entrusting you with this data to use it. You know, you're not, you're not going to share it with the world, but you're going to use that data to build a model that will allow, um, that, will, that will let you uh, predict which parts of fields, not just my fields, but other people's fields, are um, unproductive, that are losing you money year over year. Uh, so what our goal eventually is to build a model where we combine satellite imagery and data from a few hundred farmers on the ground. We do some artificial intelligence, machine learning magic. We combine all that stuff together and we can spit out maps for parts of the prairies that we didn't actually get the data from. So we can predict it from other parts of the prairies that lets us make what we call wall-to-wall maps that can really let us say, okay, this part of the prairies or this particular part of the field or this particular township or this area has some acres where farmers could do a lot to remove them from production and save money at the same time. So those maps would, would be generally available to anybody that wanted them? Our goal is eventually to release this in the public domain. Uh, so we are working closely with uh, Ducks Unlimited Canada at the moment uh, and we're going to be producing um, maps that they will use as part of their um, 
their their program um, to incentivize farmers to the their marginal areas program uh, to incentivize farmers to uh, convert parts of their fields. So they can approach a farmer and say, okay, I'm looking at this map, and it seems like this corner of your quarter you lost you lost money maybe eight years out of the last ten uh, given uh, prices for commodities and the average prices of inputs. Are you sure you don't want to take it out of production? Because uh, we can give you an incentive to change that to a forage. Uh, and you're going to win in the long term. You're going to win because you're saving money. Um, and you're also going to win because all sorts of good sustainability stuff happens on that uh, area. And you've been able to show some halo effect, some some yield improvement beside areas that have been turned back to forages. That's exactly right. That's one of the most exciting things about um, what we call these messy areas in fields is that um, they their effect isn't just right at the site. It actually spreads out into the surrounding field. And we call that a halo effect um, because it shows up as a sort of area of higher yield, like a, like a halo, if you like, around that feature. So if you can imagine a sort of uh, patch of forage in the middle of a canola field, um, what we can see when we do, when we look at a lot of data, we can see that there's an area just like a, a ring around that patch, um, not right at the edge, but a little bit further out from the edge where that yield is a little bit higher. And I want to say that we find this, uh, this effect, but not we don't find it in every field. We find this in the average field. So if you look across uh, a lot of fields, uh, you see this trend. But we're not going to guarantee that, hey, farmer, you're going to get this in your field. What we're going to say is that in the long run across a lot of fields, we see this pattern. And of course, having maps, it's, it's hard to take something out of production if it's a jagged area in the middle of the field somewhere, but if it's a, an edge and it's easy to go around and navigate, that, that really Im improves the likelihood that somebody would take that action. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, we're not, we're not going to say, uh, you know, we can identify middle, the middle part of the field. If that's unproductive, maybe you should take it out of production. But we realize there's a whole lot of other things farmers need to think about when they decide to convert an area that is unproductive. You know, it's not just because it's unproductive. It's also because it doesn't get in the way of my machinery or it's also because of convenience or maybe it's just too small to be worthwhile. There's a lot of factors. So we're not saying you got to do this, farmers. We're saying here's a tool you can use as part of that decision making that we know goes on in your operation all the time. So what's your time frame on this? Where, what do you hope to uh, uh, get to it at the, the conclusion? I, the, the work can be never ending, but what are your deliverables in the near term? We're hoping to get a initial mapping product out in uh, 2025 um, with uh, wider public release uh, thereafter. So I can't give you a date on that yet, but um, keep stay tuned for the Prairie Precision Sustainability Network. That was Paul Galpern from the University of Calgary. Please stay tuned. SaskAg Today will continue right after these messages. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. I'm Doug Falconer. It's time now for the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, or Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Mainly cloudy with a 40% chance of scattered flurries. Winds east-northeast at 15 to 30 and a high of minus 1. For tonight, an 80% chance of light snow with 3 to 6 centimeters possible. Winds northeast at 20 to 35, gusting at higher at times, and a low of minus 5. 
For tomorrow, cloudy with a 70% chance of light snow tapering off through the day. Another 3 to 6 centimeters possible. Winds north-northeast at 20 to 40 and gusting higher at times. A high of minus 5 degrees, an overnight low of minus 8. For Friday, mainly cloudy. Winds northwest at 15 to 30, a high of minus 4. For Saturday, partly sunny with a 30% chance of late flurries, a high of minus 5. And Sunday, a 40% chance of light snow, also a high of minus 5. In the Paw, it's minus 11 degrees. Swan River, minus 6. Dauphin, minus 4. Brandon, Show Lake Russell, minus 1. Roblin, minus 5. Regina is at 0. Saskatoon, minus 4. Hudson Bay, minus 7. Broadview Mooseman, Indian Head, minus 1. Winyard Wadena Kelvington, minus 3. The Yorkton-Melville region has a cloudy sky, an east wind at 22 kilometers an hour. 89% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 2 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 9 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for SaskAg today for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines.